In the 1950s in North Korea, a place that had formerly been called the Jerusalem of the East because of the impressive presence of so many Christian congregations and churches, Kim Il-sung's soldiers rounded up entire congregations, men, women, and children, put them in the street, and ran them over with bulldozers. What remained of their crushed bodies was compacted and recycled and then used to line roadways in North Korea. For some of us, that might seem like a long time ago. But this year in Syria, Christians are increasingly becoming the target of violent attacks. A special study conducted by the World Watch Unit of Open Doors International from June, this June, warned that Syrian Christians are the victims of disproportionate violence and abuse. They warned further that Christian women in Syria are particularly vulnerable to sexual abuse. Recently, in the country of Egypt, a man who, we don't know his real name, has been changed for security, but they have his name as Saleh. He was from a wealthy family. He grew up with privileges and financial liberty. He tried his best to hide his Christian faith from his family for as long as possible, but they eventually found out. They abandoned him completely and cut him off from the family inheritance. Saleh left for another city and tried to begin work and integrate with a new community. He was soon reported to the secret police as he was becoming more active in his Christian life, witnessing, going to meetings, and fellowshipping with other Muslim background believers. He was arrested, confined to a small cell, and subjected to inhumane torture for weeks on end. The charge for his arrest was for blasphemy against the Quran and the Prophet Muhammad. The penalty for such a charge is three to seven years imprisonment with the only hope of release due to international intervention at the highest level. Saleh was put in a pitch black cell so small that he could not even stretch his body to sleep at night. Often they would throw buckets of freezing ice over him through the watches of the night. During the day they would bring buckets of human excrement. Still Saleh would not renounce his faith in Jesus Christ. He was beaten and he was electrocuted repeatedly and he still suffers physical defects to this day we are reminded of the ancient words of jesus in matthew 10 i am sending you out like sheep among wolves therefore be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves be on your guard against men they will hand you over to the local local councils and flog you in the synagogues on my account you'll be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the gentiles but when they arrest you, do not worry what, about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. After Saleh's solitary confinement period ended and he was released, he stated these words, You either go crazy or you meet with God. The Lord was faithful and sustained Saleh throughout his nine-month stay in prison. This is one of, of many, many stories that we could tell. And more than 1,800 years ago, the church father Tertullian famously said that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And so what is paradoxical to us is that the places in the world where Christianity is growing the fastest tend to be the places where there are more restrictions. Um, the United States of America is in the bottom 20 of growth in Christianity. Um, nations that exceed five, six, seven, eight percent of evangelical growth per year are generally in the global south where they are restricted in their ability to meet. And somehow, um, God works through persecution and works through suffering. And oftentimes we come to this 
topic, and the first thing we think about is safety. The first thing we think about is escape. And yet, I want to challenge us this morning that that is not the most important thing. In fact, it's not the most important thing that we're going to pray for when we come back in the Sunday school hour and pray in this room. It is definitely something we do want to pray for, but it is not the primary thing. And so this morning's message will be a little different than normal. You can turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. Sometime we'll get there (laughs) in a few minutes or a little later. We'll get to Hebrews chapter 10, but just open up your Bible Stick your thumb in there and and be prepared for that. But I do want to talk about persecution because I I think that sometimes we either overemphasize what it is or underemphasize what it is or don't know exactly what we're talking about. We can trivialize persecution sometimes by um, saying it too often. Um, But we also need to be aware of what this word means. So I want to talk about first what it isn't. And this could be a longer discussion, but just two points. Persecution is not merely suffering. Okay? So, think of Job in the Bible. Um, for the most part, that story is not a story about persecution. The story is a story about suffering. Um, we go through suffering in our lives. We, we lose loved ones. Um, we lose jobs. Um, we go through emotional distress. That is suffering, but that's not persecution. So I want to be very clear what we're talking about. Second, persecution is not merely political discrimination. Okay, so, so um, there sometimes is a blurry line between these two things. But because you are politically discriminated against does not necessarily mean that you are persecuted. Because persecution in the scriptures is because of the Lord Jesus Christ on his account or because of him. And so when we, are, um, when we see around the world um, persecution because of political beliefs, that is, uh, that is wrong and that is sin and that is an awful thing, but that is not necessarily persecution. We want to be very clear how we define it. By the way, if you read through the New Testament um, in rather quick uh, order, you will see this theme coming up again and again. Now, we don't normally see it because we like um, the, the happy passages. We like the coffee cup passages. Um, we like the uplifting ones, and we tend to kind of skip over the ones that deal with persecution and suffering. But there is all through the Bible. Jesus needed to repeat at least three times in the Gospels to his disciples what was about to happen, that he was about to be um, delivered over to the Gentiles and crucified on a cross. And it did not register with them. And I want to make sure this morning that, that this topic, persecution, registers with us. Here are some words that we might throw in as synonyms to persecution. Things that would help us get a little bit closer to the definition of the word. We see these words, often we see this word right here. We see martyrdom and we equate that with persecution. And it certainly is. uh, But as one author said, um, that is the iceberg that you can see above the water. But there is so much going on um, underneath before martyrdom occurs. Here's an attempt, one author's attempt at a definition. I liked this one the best. Christian persecution is any hostility experienced from the world, this is the key phrase, as a result of one's identification with Christ. Notice that is not being annoying um, or being ridiculous about your faith. This is as a result of one's identification with Christ. 
This can include hostile feelings, attitudes, words, and actions. And as I wrestled through this, I did not want to cheapen the word persecution. I think sometimes we can joke around in America, oh, they're persecuting me. Uh, This person said something mean, and now I'm persecuted. That may be the case on, on a mild level, but I also don't want to lose the word's meaning. And so we see in the scriptures that Jesus, even in the Sermon on the Mount, uses strong language when he talks about persecution, that slander is a part of it. Um, Abuse is a word that comes to mind in the scripture when we talk about persecution. It is hostility, as we've seen, directed at a Christian because of their Christian beliefs. And this is the norm for Christians throughout history. We in the United States of America have experienced unprecedented, unprecedented centuries of religious freedom that have almost never been experienced um, in the history of the world. We are the exception, not the rule. And that is helpful for us to remember as we want to identify with the persecuted church. Uh, in between the service, I, I do want to point out um, that we do have a representative from Open Doors. Um, Kim is here this morning. Just wave your hand, Kim. She'll be at a table in the gym with resources for sale and free resources from Open Doors. Um, there'll also be these little wristbands that say one with them. They're, um, they're rubber, but they're meant to look like barbed wire to remind you to pray for the persecuted church. First Corinthians 12 says that we are one body and when one member suffers, all suffer. And that's helpful for us to remember. Think about your news consumption. Whether that's online, these old things called newspapers, on TV, um, you can get it 24 hours a day on certain stations. Um, we are so flooded with information, so flooded with news stories that sometimes these things can just wash over us. Oh, bad things happening over there. Oh, bad things happening over there. Oh, this things, these things are happening. And I want us to remember the priority of remembering our brothers and sisters around the world who are persecuted, who experience this hostility in um, forms that we may never experience them. As we talk about persecution, we need to see it from a biblical perspective. Sometimes we've given it our own cultural um, connotations. Um, Sometimes we have uh, been disillusioned Um, by some of the ways that we hear about persecution. And so I want us to, as we continue to explore, to see where persecution comes from. What's the root of it? Well, there are four different places that people have decided to help group where persecution comes from. Oftentimes it comes from the community. The community being a neighborhood or being a little bit bigger area, a town, a village, a city, um, where you're known by the community. Another place that persecution comes from is the state. Um, some, some countries have state-sponsored persecution, um, and that uh, is true in many nations today. It also comes from religious leaders, as it did in the time of Jesus. By the way, remember, Jesus was delivered up by religious people. Um, and and a, a lot of times, the religious leaders um, can persecute others. In fact, the Christian faith does not have a good track record of treating each other very well. Um, it's, it's easy to forget, but our, our founders, um, our forefathers, many of them came to this country to escape persecution from religious leaders. Uh, it was from other religious leaders, people that um, were defending their own denomination 
or their own flavor of Christianity and ended up persecuting other believers. And then fourthly, persecution comes from family. We heard that from Farhad and we, we see that truth um, all over. Uh, in some places in the Muslim world, honor killings um, happen because they come from the family and the family is shamed, dishonored because of one member's turn to Christ. And so persecution can come from their very own family. Some of you this, this week watched um, the video by Open Doors Australia um, on Saudi Arabia, the story of Fatima. Just almost unrepeatable what her own brother did to her um, after learning that, that she had become a Christian and was blogging about it. Um, she, he, he burned her back, he burned her face, he cut out her tongue, and he killed her. Own family. This is nothing, it's not a surprise to Jesus if we read the Gospels. He tells us that this is where persecution will come from. In fact, Jesus' own family thought he was crazy and tried to get him out of the public limelight. They were shamed by his ministry. And this is so hard for us to comprehend. But these are four of the ways, probably the primary ways, that persecution comes. We have to keep moving. How are Christians persecuted today? Here's just a sampling. And here, again, is to help us understand the range of persecution and how things can look. For example, um, this week, this last week, we gave you a resource called the World Watch List that has, Open Doors does every year, that has the top 50 most persecuted countries in the world. And they're ranked um, according to different standards. Some of the the rankings go from extreme um, down to, I think the word they use is mild. Um, and, And that's how... Uh, these, these countries are ranked as far as persecution goes. Here are some of the ways. Some Christians are kept from education and jobs. Think about that. Think about being kept from a job or from a specific part, a specific college or education because you're a Christian. Not because you're not qualified. Not because necessarily someone doesn't like your ethnicity, although that is also true. But because you're a Christian. Another way that this happens is people are excommunicated from family when they convert, which we just talked about. Um, some are tortured, interrogated, and detained to recant their faith. Um, and even that spans a range of how those things happen and where those things um, occur. They're ridiculed and tormented by neighbors, just constant abuse, verbal abuse. Um, perhaps thievery of things in their home while they're gone, perhaps graffiti, perhaps... Um, just making life hard for neighbors. Uh, homes and churches are burned down. This happened en masse this year in Egypt. Um, dozens of churches and homes were destroyed, looted, vandalized, men and burned to the ground, some of them more than a thousand years old. And last, sometimes they're paraded and shamed in public, mocked in public, in the streets, in court, um, in the shopping centers. This is how some Christians are persecuted today. Where does it occur? There are some primary locations that this happens in that we can identify. Communist countries, such as China, Vietnam, Laos, Cuba, and North Korea. Now, those countries are at a different, differing degrees persecuting Christians. North Korea is the, um, the most persecuted, is where Christians are most persecuted around the world. There's post-communist countries. So, um, everyone was very was really happy. I remember when I was a little kid when the Berlin Wall came down and the USSR um, was dissolved. Um, but very soon after, what looked like a lot of freedom turned into dictatorship of a different sort. 
And so you'll see some of these countries, including Russia and others in Central Asia, uh, where persecution is likely to occur. Um, in South Asia, um, in the caste systems, uh, specifically India, which has more than a billion people. This happens in pockets all over. Nepal is a very a difficult place to be a Christian. This also happens, of course, as we're familiar with, around the Muslim world. And to differing degrees, um, in Sunni countries, in Shia countries, um, in countries where there's a little bit more secularism written into the Constitution, but you'll see the different, um, the different countries, and this is just a sampling of them, of where persecution is occurring around the world. And we need to be educated about this because we can forget this so easily. Look at all those countries. Those are a sampling there are many, many places around the world where this is occurring. Well, what else can we say? Look at this stat. 75%. I think I did the stats. That's like 5.25 billion people, something around there, of the world's population lives under some kind of religious restriction. 75%. We're not the center of the world, folks. Um, there are 300 plus million of us in America. Um, Asia has approaching 3 billion people living in it. Um, we're, we're a small area of the world. We have a, a large country with open spaces and a lot of religious liberty, but 75% of the world lives in places where they don't have the liberties and the freedoms that we do. Christians are harassed in more countries than any other religion in the world. Islam is harassed. People of the Baha'i faith are harassed. Jews are harassed. But Christians are harassed in 130 countries. There's about 200, a little more than 200 countries in the world, depending on how you count them. And Christians are the single most widely persecuted group in the world today. Now, that's not a sociological group. That's not some statistical group. Those are our brothers and sisters. That's the body of Christ that we are attached to. We are organically connected to them. We cannot be separated from them. Lastly, this quote, the persecution of Christians is massive, widespread, increasing, and still underreported. So you don't hear a lot of these stories because they're not as important as national economies, according to some. You're not going to hear a lot of these things also because what journalists really want to risk their lives reporting on these things. Um, in the past year, journalists have been murdered in different countries in Africa because they've covered persecution of the church. Some of them not even Christian reporters, but they've covered this as a religious liberties issue and they've been silenced. Well, that's a, a helpful, um, those are helpful facts. Those are helpful things to cram into our brain. But as we well know, cramming facts into our brain doesn't necessarily transform our hearts or make its way into our actions or our practices. So I want you, if you haven't already, turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. There is much about persecution in the epistle to the Hebrews. Um, right after the section that we're going to look at is Hebrews chapter 11. Um, the hall of faith talks a lot about persecution and those who suffered because of their faith. But we want to take a look at Basically, the reason I chose this passage is because it was a little more obscure to me. I was a little more familiar with Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and his words about persecution there. Um, a little more familiar with First Peter um, and the talk of fiery trial and persecution there. But I was not really too familiar with this chunk of Scripture. And there's, no, there's not enough time 
and you, you, you will praise the Lord with me. There's not enough time in this service for me to cover this comprehensively like we would normally desire to do. But there are a few things I want to point out here in Hebrews chapter 10 as we look and think and talk about persecution. Would you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word? And we're going to read verses 32 through 39 of Hebrews chapter 10. So turn there or plug it into your app. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32 through 39. But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come, and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls." Just, just pray briefly and then we'll touch on a few topics here. Father, thank you for the opportunity this morning. Help us to feel legitimately, genuinely the weight of this topic. That we would put ourselves in the place of those who, who struggle with persecution. That we would remind ourselves that they are our brothers and sisters. That we would think about what would happen? How would I respond to persecution? And Lord, lastly, I pray that this morning, because of the testimony of Farhad, because of this message, because of the prayer time during the Sunday school hour, that perhaps this morning you might call young and old to yourself to be those who might give up everything they have here to go to another country to tell the nations the good news that Jesus saves. And that perhaps some of those might go to places where they are persecuted. And perhaps they might go to places where we will never see them again because they are martyred. Lord, would you help your gospel to go forward because of the courage of Christians from all over the world, including those in this congregation. Challenge us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Just a few points that I want to make from Hebrews chapter 10. I want you to look at verses 32 and 33 with me. See the wording that the author of Hebrews uses. You endured a hard struggle with sufferings. This is the normal path of life for the Christian, both in Scripture and nowadays. You endured a hard struggle with sufferings. This is alien to most of us. I, I, I want to be careful this morning that I don't make us feel guilty. Oh, I'm not persecuted. Well, I gotta go find, I gotta go find some persecution. I don't want to do that. First um, Timothy 2, 2 tells us to pray for our leaders so that we might live peaceful lives. And, and God has answered that prayer for us in America. And we ought to, to be thankful for that and not to waste that opportunity that has been given to us. But for many, that prayer is not answered in the affirmative. Uh, for many, that is a, a prayer that they do not understand um, being fulfilled in their land. They understand Paul's uh, admonition that through many persecutions and many sufferings, we must enter the kingdom of God. That those who really want to live like Christians will suffer persecution. 
We'll see that in 2 Timothy in, in a few months. But I also don't want us uh, to disregard this and say, well, I'm not persecuted for this, not, so it's not for me. We need to, to understand um, these things. And I, I'm not, I, I really, really try to stay away from paranoid conspiracy theories and people that whine and complain about the government 24-7. But I do think that we can see some seeds that have been planted that, that may lead to possible persecution in our lifetimes here in this country. Because we're Christians. Not because of a certain political party, but because we're believers. Those are two different things. But I think the seeds may have been planted and we may in the future have to really put this into practice. And the question is how we will be prepared to do that. We are prepared by seeing how scripture addresses us and how the persecuted church around the world has already set an example for us. Verse 33 The author says, sometimes these Christians had been publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. So sometimes they had been publicly exposed. That that word in Greek uh, used to mean um, being put on stage for a drama. Uh, But it came to mean more of pushed on stage to be noticed by all. And so it has a negative connotation. They were publicly exposed to these things. Sometimes they were not. But notice the next phrase, being partners with those so treated being partners with those so treated. It's important to, to see there that the, the root of that word is, is where we get the word koinonia, where we get the word fellowship, where we get the word participation, um, where we, we see that, that we go through things with people together. And so some of these Christians had suffered public, publicly. Some of them partnered with those so treated. So that means that if, if I'm not persecuted, but Patrick is, That my role is not to go, get down, Patrick's being persecuted. My role is to partner with him and to suffer with him if need be. The next phrase tells us about a similar word. For you had, verse 34, compassion on those in prison. In the next hour, when we come back, we'll have an opportunity to pray for some of those who are in prison and and to have compassion on them. Um, If you really want to do something about some of those in prison around the world, you have, we have incredible opportunities because of technology to sign a petition it takes like 30 seconds and you can join a massive amount of people who are petitioning for example for Saeed Abedini's release in Iran Um, Voice of the Martyrs has uh, and I'm sure other groups have this as well have services where you can find out the names of Christians who are suffering in prison and you can write them letters think about what it would mean to be in prison for however long, and to receive a letter from a Christian who doesn't speak your language, lives in another country, but says they're praying and caring for you. What would that mean to you in prison? We can do that very easily. You can go on a website and print something out. You can write a letter. We can actually act on these things. These are not far away from us. And I want you to notice the, the, the phrase in verse 34 that I think is the hardest one for us to understand. And you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. I want, you to, I want you to think, especially you homeowners, what it would mean to come home from work and to see family, community, religious leaders, state officials plundering your, your, your property. What would it be like to pull up into your driveway and to see people 
removing things from your home, defacing your home, destroying your home because you're a Christian, what would be your response? I'm afraid that most of our responses probably are not godly as we think about these things. And they probably don't line up with these Christians. Look at this. They joyfully accepted. Think about something that you joyfully accept. Normally you joyfully accept a gift. You joyfully accept something good, something beneficial, something helpful. So notice these Christians and their attitudes. They joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. How in the world could they do that? Well, they believed what Jesus said. Go to Luke 6 really quick. Luke 6. And again, these things seem so out of this world, but they might seem out of this world because we're more connected to this world than we are to Jesus and to his attitudes and to his reactions to things. Luke 6 is Luke's version of the Beatitudes of Jesus. Go to verse 22. Remembering that the word blessed can also mean happy in the Greek. Blessed, happy are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Weep and have a bad day and throw a pity party. Is that what the next verse says? No. Rejoice in that day. Leap for joy. What makes you leap for joy? Some of you are like, I can't leap. Well, what would make you leap for joy? There are very few things that we actually get excited enough to leap for joy. I'm ashamed to think of the things that make me leap for joy and the things I don't leap for joy about. Leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. In Acts chapter 5, the apostles are brought before the council. They're said not to preach in the name of Jesus. And then the council beats them, and their reaction is to rejoice on the way home. Folks, they weren't rejoicing like this. They were rejoicing like this. They were beaten, and yet they were rejoicing. Why were they rejoicing? Acts 5 says because they were counted worthy to suffer for the name. Like they attained something. Like, yes, we are worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. We're Americans. When, we're su- when we suffer, we fight back. Those are my rights. I'm going to take you to court. I'm going to sue you. Those are our reactions. Those are not biblical reactions. Those are not Christ-like reactions. They, they joyfully accepted, back in Hebrews 10, the plundering of their property. Why did they joyfully accept it? Because they're fatalistic? Because they're, they, they like pain? No. Notice the next phrase. Since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession. How many of us think that what awaits us is actually a better possession. I just got an iPhone 5C. This is a fun possession. Um, I have been playing with it a little too much. Um, if I dropped it, I haven't got Apple Care yet, or any insurance on it, I would be very, very, very frustrated. I would be disappointed in myself. I might be angry. And if somebody who's little that lives in my home did it, I might be a little more angry. Do you know that you have a better possession than your iPhone, than your laptop, than your car, than your house, than your kids, than your life. There's something much better awaiting. And these Christians saw it. They could almost taste it. They could almost visualize it and say, 
it's okay for them to take my house. I got a big one waiting for me. And God's there. That is the kind of perspective we rarely attain to. We rarely get there. Let's be challenged by the persecuted church that we might have the, the, the wherewithal to grow in our Christian faith and to come to the point where we would joyfully accept even the plundering of our property. I've got two more pages of notes, but we're done. I want to read you a story as the worship team comes up to lead us in a final song. It's a song that many of you no doubt are familiar with, but I want to read you the story as they come up and maybe we can sing it in a little bit different understanding. I'm going to read it. No doubt many of you grew up singing the song, I have decided to follow Jesus. The song became very popular in the U.S. due to George Beverly Shays singing it at Billy Graham Crusades. It's been the subject of debate between Calvinists and Arminians regarding free will. But when we know the context the song came from, we gain a much wider understanding of the meaning of the song. Listen to this story. In the 1880s, because of a recent revival in Wales, Welsh missionaries, along with the English, Australian, and American missionaries, responded in vast groups to the need to reach northern India with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Northern India was particularly violent as battles between tribes were common and headhunting was a cultural tradition. Headhunting was a brutal tradition in which men would gather the heads of other men they had killed as a matter of community status. It was an attraction to women to have a man with a lot of heads hanging in his house. Think of what kind of culture that would have been like. Into this culture came many Western missionaries. Dozens were martyred. But God began to save many Indians and churches were started. In the province of Assam, a Welsh missionary finally saw some fruit from his labors when a husband, wife, and their two children professed faith in Christ and were publicly baptized. Their village leaders decided to make an example out of the husband. Arresting the family, they demanded that the father renounce Christ or see his wife and children murdered. When he refused, his, his two children were executed by archers. Given another chance to recant, the man again refused and his wife was similarly struck down. Still refusing to recant, the man followed his family into glory. There's debate about whether he had already composed the song and sung it while his family was executed, or whether his statements inspired the song to be composed later. But whatever the case, the song comes out of this very real experience of persecution in northern India. When we say we've decided to follow Jesus, when we sing this song, do we mean it? No turning back? Ever? Father, we want you to do something in this congregation. Revive us. Revive our hearts. Remind us of what you've called us to. You have not called us to anything different than you've called our brothers and sisters in Saudi Arabia, in North Korea, in Somalia. We have the same mission. God, remind us of what you've given to us. Help us not to waste our freedom. Help us to identify with those who we will spend eternity with, who at the moment are persecuted because of their faith. And Lord God, I pray for this next hour as we, as we pray, as we come together as a congregation and pray for these believers, that we would be one with them, realizing that they need our prayers and we need theirs. In Jesus' name, amen.